Hello and welcome to another edition of Growing in God's Word, a Bible class recap. This is a weekly summary of the discussions we have in our Sunday morning Bible class at Trinity Lutheran Church. I'm Pastor Thomas Fricke, and I'll be guiding you through some of the interesting discussions we've had while exploring topics uh, that are relevant to Christians in today's world. Today's topic, Christmas Behind the Scenes, we'll be taking a look at some of the key uh, figures in the Christmas story. So as we enter the Christmas season, what can we say about Christmas that hasn't already been said? We want to take a look behind the scenes today. Christmas is a holy day for the Christian church that has also become a major secular holiday. Yet Americans have begun to treat the religious roots of Christmas as if they were an embarrassment. There's a growing public demand to keep religious beliefs private, and so public Christmas celebrations try really hard to avoid making effort, any reference to the, the origins, the Christian origins of the holiday. And still the true meaning of Christmas keeps on popping up in different public kinds of demonstrations. The Christmas lights, Christmas trees, the giving of gifts, they're all holiday traditions that are deeply rooted in Christian symbolism. This week we want to dig into scripture to help recover the true meaning of Christmas. We'll do it through the eyes of, of women, the stories of uh, Mary and Elizabeth and other women who are involved in the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. The Gospel of St. Matthew begins, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So why does Matthew begin his gospel by tracing the ancestry of Jesus back to Abraham. Why does he do it with this long list of sometimes almost unpronounceable names that is what you could consider Bible reading flyover country because a lot of people simply don't go through the effort of reading through the names that Matthew lists here. Why doesn't he begin with, well, once upon a time? It's because the events of Jesus' life are history, and since they are history, as Tim Keller has pointed out, there is no moral of the story of Jesus' birth. Matthew and the other gospel writers aren't telling us what we ought to be doing. What they're doing is telling us what God has done, and that's the key to understanding the whole point of the Christmas story. The mystery of the birth of Jesus, the God-man to a lowly virgin named Mary, is the focus of our praise and adoration on our, the special night, Christmas. And in his grace, God sent his son to live, die, and rise again. This has been and continues to be the reason for the season. So let's talk about that today, Christmas behind the scenes. Our first question on Sunday morning is, had us dig into the very first chapter of Matthew's Gospel, and in the first 16, 17 verses, we have that genealogy that we referred to earlier. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it goes into a list of names. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez in Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron, and it continues on from there. So the question was that uh, who, why 
do you think Matthew felt compelled to begin his gospel with this long list of names? We already referred to at least one reason why Matthew might have done this. Uh, the communication here that uh, Matthew is trying to get across is that Jesus is a historical figure. He has a real family. It's traceable in family ancestry. It is a historical fact that Jesus was born from this particular family. We also talked about the fact that uh, Matthew as a tax collector probably was a person with an accountant's kind of mind. And so he, perhaps in his own mind, felt the need to kind of lock down these uh, facts in an accurate kind of way. And so he lists the names of Jesus' ancestors. His ancestry comes from well, Abraham, Judah, and David's line. Uh, and so he fits perfectly the, the description of the Messiah as given in the Old Testament prophets. So our second question was look at again at that list of names and which women here are listed and why do you suppose each of them receives some special attention? Well, we talked about Tamar. We read her name in verse 3 in connection with Judah. We also saw the names of Rahab or C in this list of names, the, the names Rahab and Ruth. We also have uh, David, the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, not named, is the wife of Uriah. Her name was Bathsheba. And at the end of this list of names, of course, comes Mary. So why are each of these listed here? Well, Tamar um, gave birth to... Perez and Zira uh, through Judah and an incestuous relationship with him. We're not going to go into the details of that entire story, but you can see that already at this point in time there is kind of a mess being made of the family of the Savior's ancestry. Later on, uh, we have Rahab, who had been a prostitute in Jericho, who is uh, included in the line of Jesus. Uh, Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, uh, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Boaz is the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. We have Ruth also in this line of the Savior's ancestry, and she was not a Jewish person. She was from another nation. Uh, we also had, as we mentioned, Bathsheba, who had that relationship with David. And so what's happening here is that God is associating himself with sinners in the line of the Savior. Jesus Christ humbled himself to become a human being, and though he was without sin, he became a human being and associated himself with sinful human beings like you and like me. Once we moved on from Matthew in our Bible study on Sunday morning, we went to the very beginning of Luke's Gospel where Luke says this, many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. So if somebody were to make a Ken Burns-style documentary, say, about the birth of Jesus today, what do you suppose would be a major source 
of firsthand information in the production of the film. Well, uh, very likely there would be all kinds of interviews, interviews with eyewitnesses, people who would know they would be the primary sources. And Luke is telling Theophilus as he writes his gospel. Right at the outset, he says, I carefully investigated all these things. Matthew had already written his gospel, and Mark had already written his by this time, in all likelihood anyway. And Luke is perhaps writing these things sometime between the year 60 and 65, if he did so, he may have had the opportunity then to interview people who were involved in Jesus' lifetime, perhaps some of the disciples and maybe even Mary herself. In fact, there seems to be some uh, kind of uh, hints that uh, Luke perhaps did sit down with Mary and ask her what did she recall of those days when Jesus was born and uh, the times when uh, uh, that she remembered of Jesus' childhood. So based on what Luke says in verse 3 about carefully investigating things, biblical scholars have seen some evidence that Luke did interview several eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus and others who might have known them personally. Uh, how would you expect that information from personal interviews to show itself in the biblical accounts of Jesus' birth? It might come out in some of the comments that are made, perhaps seeming to be kind of offhand comments that wouldn't necessarily always find their way into a historical document unless there is some kind of eyewitness retelling of the story. So if you look in Luke chapter 2, very familiar verse but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart once the story of Jesus' birth has been told and is coming to its conclusion. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Uh, these comments may indicate the fact that Luke had an eyewitness account from Mary and from the shepherds, not discounting the operation of the Holy Spirit here and divine inspiration. We also find at the end of chapter 2 when Jesus was kind of lost track of by his parents in the temple in Jerusalem as a 12-year-old boy, um, after that conversation, why were you searching me uh, for me? And Jesus saying, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. An eyewitness might say something exactly like that. We didn't really understand at the time what Jesus was trying to say. Now we get it, but at the time we didn't understand. And then it says in verse 51, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And so again, that may be an indication that Luke took the time to interview Mary in being able to, to in, in the process of, of gathering information for writing his, his gospel. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on Sunday morning. We had the chance to ask the women who were mothers there, if you are a mother, do you remember the first time that you realized you'd be having a baby and what was it like? How did you feel and what did you do? The answer that we received was, first of all, excited, secondly, scared, 
and third, sick, <laughs> because uh, this is the experience that, that uh, mothers have when they're about to give birth to a child. And what we were doing in our Bible study on Sunday morning was talking about what is the experience of a woman? What can we expect Mary felt as she was about to give birth to this child? We read in Luke chapter 1 that the angel went to Mary and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. Uh, I think Mary understood very well that she was nobody special. So how did she react to that greeting, you who are highly favored? Probably the way any of us would have reacted. Who, who me? Why me? Why has God chosen me for this special gift of being the mother, the one who is going to give birth to the Savior of the world? Centuries before, Isaiah had spoken of a king who would sit on David's throne forever. We see that in Isaiah chapter 9. Micah told of a ruler who would be born in David's hometown in Bethlehem, Ephratah. This ruler would come and bring peace to the ends of the earth. And now the angel announces that God's long-awaited king is on his way, that Mary is going to be his mother. And uh, Mary now probably is going to ponder this a little bit more, and she'll have time to think about it, and we'll be asking questions. I'm not pregnant. I can't be pregnant. I haven't been intimate with a man. What will Joseph think? What are my parents going to say? What's going to happen in town? People find out. How about the relatives? All of these things are questions that Mary is going to be thinking about now and in the next uh, next few days. Perhaps she thought that Joseph would be the father initially when the angel made his announcement, but then the angel says the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Uh, this is something that is going to be beyond her, her understanding. And now she understands that, uh, no, Joseph is not part of this plan. He's going to be upset. But she's thinking also, I can accept the Lord's will. And I need to be able to just tell Joseph the truth and see what happens. Uh, uh, I've been reading in a book uh, uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin, Jesus Through the Eyes of Women, and she says, God grabs ordinary folk to be his chosen agents in this world. And we do find that happening from time to time in Scripture. Uh, Hannah, the, the mother of the prophet Samuel, just an ordinary person, Peter, the fisherman, chosen to be Jesus' disciple. We see ordinary people in the stories of Ruth and Naomi in the Old Testament. Uh, we think of other people who are, are keys in the history of the, uh, uh, of the ancestry of Jesus himself. And in the same way, we, we have people in our own lives, just ordinary people, who have an extraordinary impact on our lives because their Christian faith had a positive impact on us. Um, so we, we had a very interesting discussion on Sunday morning, and I hope that you were able to get something out of this little recap for our Bible study of our Bible study here today.
as we enter the Christmas season, what can we say about Christmas that hasn't really already been said? Well, as you dig into Scripture, um, it is encouraging, just encouraging for us just to take a look at what it is that God has, has given to us in the Word and just try to imagine the emotions and the feelings that Mary and the other people may have had at the time of the angel's announcement of Jesus' birth. We saw uh, in our study on Sunday morning also how when Mary met with Elizabeth, what a, an unusual meeting that might have been and how Elizabeth would have been perhaps one person who would have understood exactly what Mary was going through or very close to it and share in her excitement and provide great encouragement for her and her faith because Elizabeth, after all, was about to give birth to a miracle child in her old age herself or, uh, and is uh, uh, several months along by this time. So that's our Growing in God's Word Bible class recap for this week. Um, thank you for listening to what we're uh, producing here today. And if you have ideas in future uh, ideas that you would like to have, uh, have for future topics, just just let us know. Uh, this is Pastor Thomas Ricky. We'll be taking a holiday break now for the next three weeks, and we will return the week of January 7th. And until then, keep on growing in God's Word.